2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's begin with verse 1. The translator heading reads, Our heavenly, our heavenly dwelling. And uh, if you've noticed, if you've been around, I'm calling an audible this morning. Maybe many audibles. We'll see. Uh, uh, a little change of plans. We've been working our way through the book of Acts. The, the book of Acts, the history of the first 30 years or so of the church. But last Sunday, I, I think, I sensed the Lord put his finger on something, something in us, it, it, at least in me. But in us, no one in particular, actually, I'd argue all of us, probably, I think it started at church camp a couple weeks ago, could have been the food up at, at Maranatha camp, but I don't think so. And, and uh, I think it started back then, and I don't think it was a surprise, it, it, no surprise we landed in the passage we landed in, in Acts last week, and our study didn't plan it that way, none of us did, but our topic, our topic up at church camp, if you missed it, rest. And if you thought, I can't go up there, I'm too busy and tired, you missed it, rest. And that we all need more rest. And that's a great message to receive from your pastors. Your pastors have a perennial concern that you do not get enough rest. But we're not talking about physical rest, though physical rest is of some value. But rest for your souls as, as is all over the scriptures, in particular Jesus. He says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble at heart in heart and you will find rest and this is the kind of rest we were talking about rest for your souls and then last sunday last week we were in acts chapter 23 where the apostle paul was doing the opposite of resting uh, apostle paul was sitting in a prison cell where this is first 30 years of the of the church well he was in a prison cell while the entire city of jerusalem was outside that prison cell <laughs> out to get him with more than 40 men conspiring not to even eat or drink until they murdered him. Think how hangry they would have gotten very quickly. And, and just when you would have expected, and this just be understandable, the Apostle Paul to like have a nervous breakdown. Whole world upon his shoulders. What happens? What happens? Jesus appears him stands beside him it's a christophany that's what theologians call it a christophany in his prison cell jesus comes stands beside him and says take courage take courage not it wasn't a recommendation not a suggestion it wasn't some like you know just an icebreaker a nice way to start the conversation it was a command for the apostle paul i would argue for all of us to take courage seize courage take it and here's the connection, a theme, a thread, I think, that I think God's weaved over the past few weeks, maybe in our life together, maybe there'll be a footnote, not even remember, maybe there'll just be a footnote at fall 2023. That's why I want to hit pause in our study of Acts and just consider a little insight, maybe an epiphany, pun intended, for some of us, maybe many of us. How does courage relate to rest? Well, that's... So an answer. How does courage relate to rest? Soul rest. And it does. And here's how I'd answer that question in a snappy one-liner. Right? It takes courage to rest. It takes courage to say yes to the gracious invitation of our Savior to come and let Him 
bear your burdens and your anxieties, to cast them on Him. It takes courage to say yes to rest and no to fear. It takes courage to say yes to rest and no to fear. Let, let me take you to the place where the guy in Acts that we've been reading about explains how it was that he wasn't having a panic attack in his prison cell in chapter 23 of Acts. Would you look with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. I'll, I'll read and pray. Follow along, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, For we know that if the tent that is our heaven, earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Verse 2, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. Verse 4, For while we were still in this tent, while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Verse 5, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Verse 6, So, the Apostle Paul writes, So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord so whether we are at home or away we make it our aim to please him for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil very words of God. Would you pray with me for understanding, Father? Father, would you intervene this morning and according to your great mercy, would you grant relief? Would you grant salvation? Would you do surgery on our hearts and our minds? Father, pray for those that are suffering in the way they suffer. They already have enough to suffer about. But Father, their response to suffering, and I'm included in this category, is not helping anything. Would you be compassionate and merciful and do good even as you show us your Son? Oh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me say something controversial. Let's get the party started. <laughs> controversial, at least provocative. Here we go, here we go. I'll, uh, I got a, I got a pulpit to hide behind. 
don't throw anything. You should have like the Blues Brothers chicken wire thing up here if you saw that movie. If you throw beer bottles at me. <laughs> here it is. Anxiety. Anxiety is not an illness. Anxiety is not an illness. It's, it's not a disease. It can be disordered. You can experience an anxiety in a, in a disordered kind of way. You can experience anxiety, but you can expi- and you can experience anxiety for all kinds of reasons. Some of them are good reasons, and some of them are bad reasons. It could be a, a, a physiological condition. You, you, you experience anxiety because of a physiological and something about you, about you, your body, your mind is causing you to experience symptoms related to the emotion of fear and worry and dread and concern. And, and so then you experience this. I know many of us have experienced this. Your heart races, you know, your muscles tense up, you get a headache, it's hard to focus, you can't breathe, you feel anxious and you don't even know why. Anyone experience that? I'm, I am right now. No. <laughs> or, or you do know why, but you still can't control it. And it, what, it, your emotions, your anxiety, if, you can, if it's a noun, <laughs> your anxiety is interfering with your life. It's disordered. There's something wrong. But let's be clear, even the most, listen, Died in the wool, <laughs> anti-spiritual, don't believe nothing about what is written in this book. Most cutting-edge, you know, psychiatrist would agree with me with the scriptures. Anxiety itself, anxiety is not an illness. It's a natural emotion. It's a natural emotion, a, a helpful emotion. <laughs> a built-in programmed response to future danger. Right? A built-in programmed response to future danger. Closely related to fear, but not exactly fear itself. Fear is something that's happening right now. Anxiety is something that might happen. And if you're anything like me, most of the things I'm anxious about never happen. But I still keep making them up anyways. (laughs) Sometimes anxiety is a good thing. Sometimes anxiety is going to, even even the best thing, the thing you need at that moment because something is out to get you, right? Something's out to get you. And you should be on edge. Your heart should be racing. You should feel unsettled and, and, and concerned like a, it's like, a, like a jump scene in a movie. You know it's coming. It's coming. It's almost funny because it's coming. That jump scene's coming. And it's so hard to relax. And you're sitting in your edge of the seat of the couch and you're just waiting for it to happen, whatever the, it is. And let, let's be honest again. There are a lot of jump scenes in my week. How about you? (laughs) No, here it comes. And whatever that is for you. Sometimes anxiety is a good thing. Because there's a lot of it. A lot of things to be anxious about. This is a good thing, not an illness. If you didn't have it, it'd be like, I don't know what that condition is called where you don't feel pain. That's a bad condition. That's a disease or whatever. That's a genetic disorder. But you will need to feel pain. You, you need to feel anxious. It's not an illness. Of course, there are all kinds of other ways 
kinds of things that can be the source of your anxiety, everything from guilt and shame and not wanting to be caught in whatever it is, whatever that sinful behavior that you are doing or, you, or would embarrass you, uh, 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 to a, a healthy, it could be from a healthy fear, the consequences of your past sins, your present sins, your, even your, the sins you know you're going to repeat if, the, if God does not intervene and free you from You know, some of our experiences of the emotion of anxiety are due to the lasting effects of sin upon our souls, even our physical bodies. You may have been sinned against. And, it's gonna, and, 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 and so there's just this reminder of that offense, that sin that you absorbed that elicits strong feelings of fear and emotions, emotions like anxiety, they, they seem to come out of nowhere. But you know where they came from, but why? Why so powerful? Like P- PTSD, it, it's a real thing. Because someone else sinned. Or, listen, you, you and I, you, you, you may have repeatedly engaged in a sinful practice or behavior pattern that that has physically, psychologically affected you. It's changed you so much so your past sin as one more category of why we experience anxiety that years later you can't stop feeling anxious because of. I'll give you some examples. Drug use. You were addicted to something. And now, when you encounter anything that reminds you about it, your body goes into overdrive. And I don't know, I don't know if, here's another controversial statement, I don't know if smoking cigarettes, you can ask these guys, smoking cigarettes is sinful, right? A sinful behavior, probably in California, it's at least illegal. But but I, I still remember, I would go on motorcycle trips with my father, and uh, we would go to places, and it's surprise, surprise, when we would stop at the biker bars, <laughs> and we would we'd sit in the biker bars in California, sit outside, whatever it is, 150 million miles from the biker bar entrance, and we'd sit out there and take a break before we'd go to the next part of our trip. My, we would keep moving. That was no joke, 150 miles. We would keep just moving farther and farther away until eventually we ran out of chairs and tables to sit at, and my dad would just drag a chair. My father would drag a chair farther and further away. Why? Because he could smell smoke and he had been a smoker all his life as soon as he smelled the smoke it didn't matter it was just mind went just lit up he couldn't handle it he's gripped with anxiety because he might smoke again drug use alcohol abuse pornography all kinds of addictions I, I think social media Talk about PTSD. Just <laughs> close your account to in, uh, whatever Instagram and find out five years later you're still like, what am, what's everyone? What's going on? The fear of missing out, <laughs> anxiety of missing out, plagues you. You worry, and you worry, and we worry, and we worry, and in our worrying we don't cast our anxieties and worries upon the Lord. 
for so long, listen, this is sometimes why we experience anxiety and fear. So long, we can't rest because for so long, we have not casted our anxieties but carried them that at some point, we just can't help it anymore. And perhaps, listen, perhaps maybe, maybe you can relate. Maybe you can relate. Maybe this is you. Maybe this is you. As much as you hate to admit it, I would hate to admit it. I hate to admit it. You, you, you don't want to think this way, but it, maybe it's you and it's true. Anxiety has become like an unwelcomed but familiar friend. You, you nurse your anxieties. You sit in them. They become part of who you are. Something that defines you. Your identity. I'm an anxious person. I'm a fearful person. I'm, well, courage would be the last thing you'd put on my resume. Courage would be the last thing. I, listen, I, I told you, you know, <laughs> I warned you, I'm going to say some controversial things this morning, at least provocative. <laughs> If I didn't get your attention, let me ask the question again. How does courage, how does courage, hmm, how does courage and fear and anxiety and rest relate to one another? How did how is it that we find Paul writing to the Corinthians? How, how did the Apostle Paul explain the fact that he didn't just curl up in the fetal position in that prison cell in Acts chapter 23, maybe medicate him in some way, although Big Pharma had not yet come out with a prescription for him? How, was he, was he just, why, why was he not just trying to think happy thoughts and hope and, and, and holding out until a circumstance has changed. How, how is it that he could be of good courage? And, and if you're anxious about the kids crying in the other room, me too. <laughs> Welcome to a wind day at Sovereign Grace Church of Orange. It's not, none of this is a surprise this morning. <laughs> oh. Listen, how are we supposed to not give in to our anxieties? That's, that's what I'm after. And let's be honest here. The Bible assumes you have anxieties. You are anxious. The Bible assumes it. All of us. Starting with me and my weird idiosyncrasies, there is no one who does not have anxiety. It's built in. If you don't have it, that's a disease. <laughs> You're not paying attention. We're programmed by design. And with that in mind, how can we take courage how can we take courage, or in our passage today it's repeated two times, how can we be of good courage? And oh, that's what I want for us. How can we be of good courage? Sovereign Grace Church of Orange. Members of our church as individuals and as a church. How can we be of good courage rather than fearful and weak and cowardice? That's the opposite here. Whereas one author uh, I read this week put it, David Steele, uh, a book that I, I, surprisingly isn't that popular. I, I, I picked up the title and I read it. I had never read it before. The title, Spineless. <laughs> it's a call to courage. 
for the church. Spineless, he writes, to paraphrase, I'll just a little bit to shorten it up. He, he says, re, regarding the lack of courage in our lives, and, and maybe you might need to say the, the, the pandemic of, of cowardness in our lives, this is what he says, it produces this lack of courage. It produces what I must venture to call a jellyfish Christian. A jellyfish Christian that, Christian that is without a bone or muscle or power. He writes, a jellyfish is, is pretty, and you're pretty, graceful, and a graceful object when it floats in the sea, right? Contracting and expanding like a little delicate transparent umbrella. There's a, yet the same jellyfish, listen, the same jellyfish when cast on the shore is a mere helpless lump without capacity for movement, self-defense, or self-preservation. A mere helpless lump when cast upon the rocks. Steele says, alas, it is a vivid type of much of the religion of the day. Jellyfish Christian. <laughs> Jellyfish Christians. Listen. Listen, I have all the patience in the world for the one who is fearful and struggling with anxiety. Mike and Dustin, we care about you. If you're wondering right now, is this like dropping the hammer or something like it? Not at all. We care about you. If that's you, if you're, if you're a dentist, I'm like, I think I'm a jellyfish. <laughs> I, th I think I'm a jellyfish, which that would be an epiphany this morning. Uh, <laughs> and actually, I guess not out of tune with culture. <laughs> I'm, I identify as a jellyfish. Uh, <laughs> listen, we care about you. I wanna bear your, we we want to bear your burdens with you. It's, it's, it's a big part of why we pastor. Why, why, why we're willing to serve as pastors because we do care and we want to bear your burdens. And if this is you and you are a jellyfish Christian, we want to comfort you and serve you and protect you, prepare you for being cast up onto the rocks. We want to help you. Now, uh, and one of the best ways we could do this is by reminding you again and again that the only way you'll ever be fear for, fear free from, the only way you will ever be free from all the anxieties of this world which are natural and understandable and live in the good of everything that it means to be a child of God, to be a Christian, to enjoy that, your freedom from the tyranny of sin, to not experience guilt and shame and condemnation and have a quiet confidence. This is what a Christian is someone who has a quiet confidence and peace that no one can take away from you and cannot be explained by you in your circumstances or your personality or your temperament oh he's just he's not a jelly he's a he's not a jellyfish. what's the opposite of a jellyfish he's a swordfish right i don't know not a shark okay <laughs> a way to achieve peace rest for your souls by being courageous 
by taking hold of that which God offers. How, how do we take courage? How can we be of good courage? And that's what I'd want everyone in the room to say. I don't go on Facebook very often anymore, but if, you, if, you, if you're on social media this afternoon and you're just like, you know, it's like, how are you feeling or whatever it used to say, like kind of thing, you can say, I'm of good courage. I would love for everyone to say, Dis- despite my circumstances, despite myself, I'm of good courage today. Paul's answer? Paul's answer is that he, and then implies us, He's walking by faith and not by sight. He's walking by faith, not by sight. That's Paul's answer, his counsel. It's pretty simple, very hard. (laughs) But it's his remedy. It's his prescription for the person who's struggling with anxiety. That, That... that's your now, now again, can, can I make a disclaimer here? I know I'm being provocative for a moment here, but, but it, it, your, your, your whole life is being altered by your, your experience of the emotion of anxiety. Uh, one of the things that could be uh, causing that is, is your, you, your body. It's good to see a doctor and ask the question. But, but assume that the doctor will only see one thing about you, your body. That's, that's the answer. Not always, sometimes... They say whatever really magical things in those meetings, but, uh, <laughs> but most of the time the answer is predictable. The solution, the remedy, the prescription. But, and I don't think Paul would be a stranger to that as well. He tells Timothy to drink a little wine. He, he's got his medicines too. But here, when it comes to why it is that he's of good courage, and we're going to see in a moment he shouldn't be. We're already familiar with it as he sits in prison cell. It's, it's because he walks by faith and not by sight. L- look with me at the text again. I, l- let me show you what he means. He explains it. He fills it out. There are really three things he says there. I don't know if we'll get to all three this morning. I told Dustin I may assign him a, his next week's sermon right out, right during my sermon, or during my sermon, which made him really nervous. Uh, <laughs> Now, now he's anxious. And why is he anxious? Uh, <laughs> Which, when you're, at, when you're a member of Sovereign Grace Church of Orange, you should assume that that would be predictable as well. It's Eric. That's what's causing us to be anxious. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. First one. His first reason why he's of good courage. It's because to apply to us, this is not our forever home. This is not our forever home. He's walking by faith and not by sight. This is not everything. This is not it. Verse 1, look with me again. It's a fabulous passage. Paul writes, verse 1, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. 
a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Stop right there. We are picking up this argument midstream. He's been talking about this for a little while, at least a chapter. He's, been ta- he's really been talking about it for two letters, but he's been talking about how our, we- our weaknesses, our weakness as human beings, as people, and most of us are those we're, we're people, mag- that, that our weaknesses, our constitution magnifies the strength and glory of God himself. He says that we have this treasure, this, this light of the gospel. We have Christ himself revealed to us. We're carrying around his glory in jars of clay. That was just prior to our text here. In jars of clay to show, quote, the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's all by design. It's how he makes us. In this time, right now, we are in a tent. Paul's using, and I'll explain in a second. To show The surpassing power belongs to God and not to you. If you look up in chapter 4, just look up a little bit or or scroll up verse 8 and following of chapter 4. He writes, we are afflicted in every way, (laughs) but not crushed. There's someone of good courage. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. And, And you know what it's like to be perplexed and then despair because you're perplexed. What do they call that today? Deconstructing your faith. Verse 9, chapter 4. Persecuted but not forsaken. Isn't that what happens? I hit a trial. What's the first thing you say? Where are you, God? You're apparently not here. Do you see what's happening? (laughs) Paul's like, I'm... We're being persecuted, but we're but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. It's united to Christ in his death. So that the life of Jesus may also be man- manifested in our body. That's the glory being revealed. Jars of clay. Verse 11: For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. And then you put yourself in there. For we, me, who live, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. There's a reality check. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Talk about an identity. Talk about a reason for being of good courage and a different take on reality talk about a guy who should be a little anxious maybe suffering a little ps ptsd it's so understandable if you go back down to our text chapter 5 verse 2 so understandable get it we this rings true for all of us he writes for verse 2 for in this tent we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling groaning indeed or or as my seven soon-to-be eight-year-old daughter has taught all of us in our family to say, can you help me with it? Because I mess it up often. What do we say when we're groaning? (laughs) She said it, and now we all say it. I don't know where we got it from, but in our house, when something happens and we don't like it or we don't see something and we don't prefer it, we say, that's Paul is saying that it's true, right? It's true. Paul is saying that our life today, our reality, your reality, don't escape reality. 
Our existence, it is as if we live in tents. That's Paul saying. It's loaded theological imagery, but we'll just leave it at that. It's as if you live in a tent if you're a camper. Temporary, a temporary dwelling as we pilgrim to another place, our final resting place. This, while we live in the tent, is not our home. Not our forever home. Although it's our reality today, and our reality today should make you say, ugh. <laughs> Whatever that means. He continues, right? Exactly. Verse 2. For in, this, <laughs> for in this tent we groan, longing to, and you are going to have an assignment, Dustin, longing to be put on our heavenly dwelling, our resurrected bodies in the age to come, life after death, Life after life after death. Let me say that again if that's unfamiliar to you. This is what we believe in. We believe in life after life after death. Life after life after death. As in the life in the age to come that comes after the life we experience if we die today before the very final day. That, that's, listen, this is, this, is why, this is why I say your hope, the Christian hope, is better than life after death. It's not life after death because after, although, although life after death is to be with the Lord, hmm, for all those who have already died or will die before the final day and all the resurrection and the second appearance and those that are in Christ will be raised with Him into the age to come where the whole world is regenerated, not just your soul, today that they're with the lord if you're wondering what happens to the brother or sister who passes now before that day the last day they're with the lord but theologians aptly uh, or appropriately describe it as they're they're with the lord but it's an intermediate state an unnatural state why because those who die today and are with the lord are separated from their body if that, if that surprised, that may make you anxious. It should a little bit. But it's an unnatural state because what Paul's been explaining for a letter and a half is that in the life after life after death, we will get a new body. The, those right now are in the intermediate state. Their bodies lie in the grave. Their soul is with the Lord, but not forever. There is, listen, one day, our hope, this is why it's a great hope, is that the Lord will return and all the dead will rise and those who have been joined to Jesus in faith will receive new bodies. He explains that at the end of the last letter that are fit for, for the future, for a forever home, eternal bodies. And from then on, no one will be saying, uh, right? And so he says, if we are to take courage, if we are to have the mental and moral strength to persevere and withstand danger and face our fears and all of life's difficulties, we must adopt this mindset, not that we should ever, oh, not that we should ever expect life in the tent to be free from groaning, in the kitchen <laughs> or that your circumstances will change here or even your emotions though I hope they do our hope is that one day 
one day we will be with the Lord free from this body and all of its groanings. Imagine a world where there is no anxiety. No anxiety coming for all of us because we don't need it. Verse 1 again. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. And all that, that clothing and not clothed naked stuff, okay, that's is about a better life and a better body and a better home and to be clothed in what is truly life, a shared life, a shared righteousness with Christ who is our life. And Paul's writing, verse 4, For while we are still in the tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, as in be free from the Lord Himself, but that we would be further clothed. Oh, we want something better. This is the reality. It's not your forever home. So that what is mortal, temporary, may be swallowed up by life. And listen, Paul's point here too is that you don't want to go there. You don't want to go into that next stage, the life after life after death, without that clothing. A righteousness, right? That would be a healthy anxiety, the fear of the Lord. Listen, we must groan. If you're trying to avoid groaning, you'll never get there. Not this side of that day. Paul says, we're of good courage. We live by, walk by faith, not by sight, knowing that our desire is to be with the Lord. We long for the future. And we don't give in to the fear. We don't give in to the fear that somehow this is all that there is for us. It's not. You want to know what this looks like? Dustin will get the Holy, Holy Ghost next week, the Holy Spirit, which is even better. And then I'm assigning Mike the next... No, I'm just, You know what this looks like? It looks like a person who is, if you don't put yourself in the category of anxiety, you're not worried about it or whatever, but is obsessed with their health. Trying to live as long as they can. Worried about every little thing. Feeling as if whatever that next germ or virus is, is the one that will defeat all of God's purposes and take me out. <laughs> missing everything, participating in nothing, because somewhere out there is something I might get. <laughs> something I might catch, and it might change my life, and my answer to that is, you're right. But that won't be the end of the story. This isn't what your hope, your hope is not in living to a ripe old age of 80 years old. I'll give you another one. 
money. You would say, I'm not really an anxious person, but I'm not sure I'm of good courage because I got money in the bank and I'm trying to get more money in the bank or I don't have any money in the bank and all I need, all I need is some money in the bank. And I'd be okay. The future would be okay. And everything would be okay. But it's not. Trust it for someone who has a lot of money in the bank. No, I don't have money. <laughs> I read about it once. It doesn't make you feel any better. <laughs> or you fill in the blank. What is it for you? I want to be married and I'm not married. I, w- I want to be free from all the entanglements of my life. I am married. I don't want to be married. I want more friends. If I had friends now, I'd have peace and rest. I'd cast my I'd, I'd come to Jesus and he would offer me friends for my soul. <laughs> or children, or more children, or less children, or even less children, whatever it is. Or your work. Like as if the next job will make you happy. That's, that's why we don't like them because it's called work. It's not the work we'll do then. It's not the work we're hoping for. Whatever it is is your fleeting pressure. I, I, I heard more than one person in the last few weeks describe it as medicating myself with and then filling in the blank. Multiple people in the last two weeks just saying, oh, I see it. I do this so that I would rest. I could experience rest. And again, sometimes we need medication. I'm not talking about that. I want to pray for you this morning. I know it's 1030 and Dustin has four songs for us to sing. But I I want to just pause for a moment. And and, and you want to say, how about... I don't, well, I'm not in charge of Dustin, but maybe if Dustin could lead us in a song, but I could pray for you as well. And, and pray in particular for the one who would say, okay, okay, I didn't think I was a fearful person, but I'm not of good courage for whatever it is, fill in the blank, whatever the trouble is in your life. And I'm trying to fix that Get rid of that blank. But God's not getting rid of it. Like a thorn in my flesh, pushing me. I'll stop right there in a hope for a future home. Would you pray with me? Would you sing with us? Heavenly Father, we we stop here. We're grateful for your words. We're grateful for the counsel and the insight that you inspired Paul to offer to us grateful to be in a room full of people who know you and trust you and who have been transformed and we're going to look next week have the spirit of God that is not a fear and timidity but a power and strength and courage but father we we groan we groan and we groan and we suffer and we struggle and we consider the examples of others and we 
we wrestle with our own failings and that with the fact that the matter is is that we're all jars of clay easily broken father i confess that oftentimes i find myself to be a, a jellyfish christian lord would you meet us in our our moment of need and anxiety and fears all of our misguided hopes, all of our attempts to fix ourselves and fix our situations, and instead, instead we begin just by acknowledging this is not our home. This is not the end of the story. Lord, I pray you would, you would grant the gift and grace of faith to the one who hasn't even yet trusted you would you unite them to your son? Would you remake them and release them from the bondage of their sin and the, 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 actual, the, the desires and the, the powerful impulses of their, their own bodies their, and desires and personalities? Lord, would you, would you do surgery on their heart that they might, they would, might come to you? and find rest for their souls. Father, would we be, Lord, would you, would you transform us once again as you have done so many times before? Would you make us people of good courage? Moral, ethical resolve and strength to trust you whether we're floating in the ocean or we're crashing upon the rocks. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd, you would meet us in these last moments together, we pray. In faith, not by sight, would you do these things in Jesus' name. Amen.